brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. Suds, suds, it's time for more suds. Welcome to this suds episode where everything good in life is worth discussing. I am your feeble host, good old gal Juliana, and with me today at the table is good old boy Dave. Hey everybody. Good old Reverend Mark. <laughs> good afternoon to everyone. And good old boy Kendall. How you doing today? This show is sponsored by Peabody's Wine and Beer Merchants in Boone, North Carolina, featuring the largest and most eclectic selection of beer and wine in the Southeast. If you can't get to the mountains, let them ship it right to your doorstep. Contact them at www.peabodyswineandbeer.com. Our sub sub segment is all about beer, beer, and of course, more beer. Today's show is a Ballast Point Brewery takeover episode. We will be talking about beer from one brewery today, and that is Ballast Point. The beers that we are going to discuss today are Sculpin, Grapefruit Sculpin, Habanero Sculpin, Indra Kundra, Victory at Sea, and Sea Monster. So, Ballast Point has a really cool background story, and good old boy Kendall, why don't you give us some information about them? Sure thing. After developing a taste for beer in college, founder Jack White decided to try make something more interesting than he could get at a keg party. So along with his college roommate, Pete Ahern, he began home brewing in their apartment at UCLA, and they realized it wasn't easy to get what they needed. Uh, the supplies and ingredients were hard to find. Uh, they didn't have anybody to talk to about brewing either. So in 92, Jack opened Homebrew Mart, which he filled with supplies, ingredients, and conversation that every brewer needs to make better beer at home. His plan was to take his hobby pro and start a brewery one day. About the same time, Pete went to UC Davis to get his master's brewer certificate, and that's when they found collaborator Yusuf Cherney. He was also a home brewer with a passion uh, for home brewing and a lot of awards uh, to boot. Yosef became Homebrew Mart's first employee and was part of the team to open a backroom brewery. In 96, Ballast Point Brewing was born. From day one, Ballast Point's philosophy has always been doing what we love and making what we love to drink. So naturally, they named the beers out of something they loved, which is fishing. And many of the beers have uh, named after fish or fishing terms. And the labels have fish on them. Uh, Pete left. <laughs> Pete left to uh, actually become a science teacher. That's great. Uh, young minds need that knowledge. But uh, in 2004, Ballast Point had outgrown. Uh, and they went into a larger production brewery. Um, today, Homebrew Mart is still open in its original location, helping homebrewers uh, to make better beer. And the tasting room uh, is still there. They've added a, a third brewery in San Diego's Little Italy neighborhood, which is a lab for research and development. By the end of 2013, Ballast Point completely maximized its output at that brewery and sought another space. 
So in mid-2014, they constructed a 107,000-square-foot brewery in Miramar. There's lots of great breweries up there in the Miramar area of San Diego. Uh, and that gave them room to grow. They had two large copper kettles that were discovered in a brewery in Lord Germany as a showpiece of the new brewery headquarters. They have a state-of-art lab, tasting bar, and restaurant. And so with this fourth location, they have room to grow. And Ballast Point's plan for the future is simple. Keep doing more of what they love. Thanks, Kendall. That's a really great story. I know all of us here at the table are homebrewers, and Ballast Point continues to support the hobby that we all love so much. They even have a complete line of beers called the Homework Series. Each beer comes with a complete recipe on the label. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. I only have one question. So... How did Jack White have the time to start a brewery and start a band? And a record company. And a record company. And move to oh, Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Hmm. Somehow I'm thinking, maybe, maybe. that's not hmm. the same guy. Oh. Huh. Weird. There okay. can be more than one Jack White. Maybe. Anyways. All right. So, let's get to some beer. So, good old boy Dave will get the honor of going over our Suds ratings today. In honor of today's brewery and their love for the sea, they'll do it in the voice of a pirate. Are ye landlubbers, we'll be tasting and discussing these beers and rating them with these Suds ratings, plus our signature belching sounds. You get plenty of those on a pirate ship. Arr. Here are those ratings now. Number one, that sucks. Give me anything but a grog. Number two. Be that a belch? Number three. Ah, what a relief. That was a good one. Number four. Ah, a body should really not make that sound. And being a pirate, I don't know the next number because I didn't learn to count that high. But the last one is, listen to that hang time. Give me another. (laughs) Why, thank you, Pirate Dave. Well done. Very well done, sir. Very well done. I kind of hurt my throat. (laughs) (laughs) That's why pirates are angry all the time. They have a sore throat for talking that way. Well, anyways... Speaking of which, Pirate Dave, why don't you start uh, the conversation and uh, tell us what your top three beers are. Sure. So I won't go in any particular order necessarily because I'm not that organized or prepared. But uh, the first one I'd like to talk about is the Indra Quindra? Kendra? Kenendra. Kenendra. Indra Kenendra. Sounds cool. Okay, so Ballast Point, Indra Conindra. It is brewed with Madras curry, cayenne pepper, cumin, toasted coconut, and kaffir lime leaf. It is a 9% ABV stout brewed in collaboration with homebrewer Alex Tweet. It was brewed for Holiday Wine Cellar's 46th anniversary homebrewers competition. First batch was 9% and all others have been at 7 so this beer is big in every way the aroma is very strong um there's a lot of um 
there's a lot of spice going on and it it, it smells like the world market you know um <laughs> But uh, I and I'm not a huge fan of it necessarily, but it's just it was the most interesting beer that um, we had today to me, just because of it had so much going on. There's like curry and pepper and just all kinds of crap. They just whatever they could find. That's <laughs> a great term. It's a good brewing um, term. But it it, it is very. Um, it's 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 very smooth for a beer that's as high alcohol as it is, um, and maybe all those spices hide that a little bit. I don't know, but um, I gave this beer a three. Three. Oh, yeah. what a relief! And your next pick. Oh, that's right. I have to pick another Dave. one. So my next one is the Habanero Sculpin. Ah, Ballast Points Habanero Sculpin. It is a great example of what got us into brewing in the first place. After years of experimenting, we knew hopping and ale at five separate stages would produce something special. The result ended up being this gold medal winning IPA, which inspired us, which inspired use of hops, creates hints of apricot, peach, mango, and lemon flavors, but still packs a bit of a sting, just like a sculpin fish. So, um, I only really wrote one word, which was hot. Yeah. <laughs> Very. Ouch. And, and actually, I was going to put that it's hot, and then the heat fades pretty fast, but it doesn't. No. Um, no. Because I thought it did, but then I was like, wait. You still feel still it. still there. Yeah. And it's not horrible. You know, I think this would be like a good winter beer, maybe, or something kind of if you can't be hot outside or warm on the outside at least you can be warm on the inside but um it's one of those beers i don't think you could drink a lot of or you would not want to drink very often at least i wouldn't but it actually as far as pepper beers go it's uh it's actually fairly balanced and it and it doesn't just blow you up Mm -hmm. so i gave this beer a three as well three uh And your final pick, Pirate Dave. Final pick, Victory at Sea. Oh, yeah. Victory at Sea by Ballast Point. It is two of the world's oldest beverages join forces to conquer your palate. Victory at Sea embodies the art of masterful brewing by infusing a velvety imperial porter with pure vanilla flavor and specially selected hand-roasted coffee. The addition of cold-brewed coffee to the beer lends a subtle roasted flavor to this robust imperial porter, blending perfectly with rich vanilla and caramel undertones. By uniting two San Diego brewing traditions, Cafe Calabria, freshly brewed coffee, and Ballast Point beer, we have successfully created an artisanal masterpiece. Um, this is a, what I think may be the best beer uh, in the flight. Um, it's really big. Um, lots of warmth. Uh, the coffee and vanilla roast uh, coffee, the vanilla and coffee roast kind of round each other out as far as the flavors go. It's got a great mouthfeel um, and, and it's really enjoyable to drink. Uh, not necessarily a summertime beer, but um, it is kind of a good change up after the habanero. Um, I actually gave this one a four. Four. A body should really not make that sound. Well, thanks, good old pirate Dave. R. 
<laughs> and next will be good old pirate Reverend Mark. Hello, kitties. Well, I'm going to be kind of pedestrian in my evaluation of these beers today. Ooh. Meaning that I was kind of drawn to, right off the bat, just the Ballast Point Sculpin IPA as a benchmark through which I evaluated most of the others, at least three of the others. Um, Kendall and I were talking as we were sampling this fine flight, and it seemed to me that the the can product, as I am doing parallel tastings mm-hmm. with a different uh especially the hoppy beers that are coming out, uh, really commended this one as being extremely fresh. Uh, the The malt base was there, but not too heavy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I felt as though the, the the just the array of American hops came out just as a very flavorful bouquet. So I'm going to really list this one as my... Uh, I won't say that it was my favorite of all in the in the flight that we've sampled, uh, but I'd like to at least start out by uh, lifting this one up and giving it an applause. And I will um, <laughs> I will at least uh, say I'll go with this one and give it a four. A four. A body should really not make that sound. Uh, Sorry, I thought that was the applause button. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't laughing at you. Well, and as a brief note, this Sculpin IPA is a testament to our humble beginnings as homebrew mart. Founded in 92, the mart continues to be a catalyst for San Diego brewing scene, setting the trend for handcrafted ales. Inspired by our customers, employees, and brewers, this Sculpin IPA is bright with aromas of apricot, peach, mango, and lemon. Its lighter body also brings out the crispness of the hops. This delicious Ballast Point Ale took a bronze medal at the 2007 Great American Beer Festival in the Pro-Am category. The Sculpin Fish has poisonous spikes on its fins that can give it a strong sting. Ironically, the meat from a Sculpin is considered some of the most tasty. Something that has a sting but tastes good. Sounds like a Ballast Point India Pale Ale. I totally agree. Okay, good old Reverend Pirate Mark. Yes. <laughs> Second up. Well, I have to say that um, before I get on to the next one, that uh, another thing that drew me to this, just the history of it, of the uh, Sculpin IPA, is that they won in the Pro-Am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to uh, compete in the Pro-Am, but... Um, I was an also-ran, never took anything, but it's great to be there no, uh, nonetheless. Uh, so anyway, that, that, that helped me to, to see that, yeah, you know, you can start out just as a, an enthusiastic, uh, you know, kind of hobby crafter and, uh, and actually do something commercially if you keep at it. The next one that I would like to really get back to when I talk about being, you know, get down to the basics for me, at least, I was drawn uh, to the Sea Monster. Um, the Imperial Stout uh, came through as very layered, uh, very roasty, a dark, bittersweet chocolate aspect to it with kind of an oatmeal viscosity. Um, of all the dark samplings, uh, and comparing it to Victory, and, uh, Victory at Sea and Indra, uh, I, I like this one because I felt as it was uh, the least contrived, 
uh, and that it could really stand alone as just a sipping beer and not necessarily a pairing beer. Uh, so this one I will give a 4-2 as well. Four, a body should really not make that sound. And of note, it is um, the Sea Monster Imperial Stout is a new version of an old favorite. This hearty stout is black as the abyss and clocks in at a whopping 10% ABV. A real monster, if you will. The flavors of roasted coffee and bittersweet chocolate are complemented by a velvety smoothness. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, a velvety smoothness from the addition of unmalted barley and oats. Columbus and Amarillo hops help to balance out the huge malt flavor of this flavor bomb. Be careful, the alcohol is well hidden and will sneak up on you if you don't watch out. Like most scary monsters, it can be a little intimidating, but have no fear. It'll soothe the soul. Okay, good old Reverend Pirate Mark, what's your last pick? Okay, my last pick is uh, one that sort of is uh, kind of compared to in a parallel tasting uh, with the very first one that I mentioned, namely the Sculpin IPA. And that is, of course, the Grapefruit Sculpin IPA. And... Um, I mentioned this one last because I really think that uh, t drinking this in a parallel fashion with the Sculpin, uh, it really helped me to see how they were able to amp up, you know, the crisp hoppiness, just just the the the, the aroma itself, but still the taste of citrus was not just coming from hop at, at this point you could mm. really kind of get that 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 grapefruit oil the acidity uh that comes from the orange um, or the grapefruit zest rather so uh for me at least i feel as though this is a a, a really great uh, kind of a, a a fruit forward beer not being fruit in the sense that we t typically think about it but that uh you know they <clears throat> really are doing something right uh to this is about maybe the sixth one that I've tried, and uh, it's just uh, it's it's just very crisp, clean, and uh, one that I'm trying to replicate myself as a home brewer. So, uh, this one I, I mentioned last, uh, but certainly not least, and I will give it a five. Whoa! Ooh, a five. Listen to that hang time. Give me another. Nice. I think that sums it up, huh? Well, and speaking, of, and, and just to go over it, um, the Grapefruit Sculpin is the latest take on their signature IPA. Some may say there are few ways to improve Sculpin's unique flavor, but the tart freshness of Grapefruit perfectly complements their IBAs, IPA's um, citrusy hop character. Grapefruit's a winter fruit, but this easy drink and ale tastes like summer, and it's 7%, by the way. So, yeah, nice. we are going to take a brief break, and then we'll come back with good old Pirate Kendall and his top picks. Arr. Arr. Welcome back, mateys. Now, uh, next up for discussion is good old Pirate Kendall. Arr, hi, you mateys. Arr. <laughs> 
You know, in my uh, top three of these, uh, I want to give an honorable mention to the base of two of them, which is just the Sculpin. Just a mm. fantastic beer. Wait, um, let me stop you real quick. <clears throat> Are you going to do a Juliana? I am. And you're going to have four top three? No, I've got three. <laughs> okay. All right. I just wanted to check. With an honorable mention. Yeah. I, I love the, the Sculpin. In fact, last weekend at Asheville, uh, some of us were privileged to be at Funk Asheville, which we had yeah. great sour, great funky beers. And then we proceeded to Thirsty Monk, the basement, which mm. is all Belgian beers. Um, and, you know, I hate to say it, but I'd kind of had a little too much funk and sour by that point. Yeah. I needed yeah. something hoppy. So I ordered a can of Sculpin. Um, just hit the spot. But, uh, I love the Sculpin, but I love the two be- beers that we have that are versions of that. Yeah. So my first one is the Habanero Sculpin. Okay. Which, at first, you know, every time I have a pepper beer, it's like, you know, what kind of novelty is this? Hmm. I'm not sure if they're just throwing peppers in to throw peppers in, you know, hot for hot's hmm. sake. But it's a really well-done pepper beer. Yeah. Um, and the thing I like about it is I was in San Diego last summer. And, you know, this is a San Diego beer. And the thing that's there is so much good beer and so much good Mexican food. Mm. Mm. And so from this beer I'm picking up, you know, in the, when I just smell it, you smell the pepper, you smell the citrus. And it yeah. makes me think of that fresh Mexican food that's not like anything else in this country. Mm. It's a great yeah. Mexican food scene. Do you know, so like when I when I tasted that habanero sculpin, um, you know how like in some pepper beers you get sort of the green yeah, kind of right. like vegetable yeah. taste? It doesn't really have no, that. You get not at all. You get pepper flavor, but you don't get that, that green taste. That was definitely in my tasting notes too. Yeah. I agree. I don't know how they did that, but... I don't know, but I think it's delicious, and I don't like pepper beers for the most part. But but I enjoyed this, and you're right; it sneaks up on you. You yeah. know it's a pepper beer when you first taste it, and then you think, "Oh, that fades. That's nice." And then all of a sudden, you Boom. get this little fire in the back of your throat that lingers for 15 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, At least. <laughs> so, what's your rating? Um, giving that a suds rating of four. Four. A body should really not make that sound. Very good. And your next pick? My next pick is the Sea Monster. Mm. Ooh. And I just love... It's mm. scary because to me, this is an easy drinking yeah. beer. Yep. Yeah. And I wrote down that it's very dangerous. There's no heat I'm not picking up. Even as it warms, I'm not picking up any alcohol heat. And a 10% beer that's this easy drinking. I know. And yeah. so rich, so chocolatey. Um, lots of chocolatey goodness in mm. this one. And um, like Reverend Mark said, you don't need to pair this with anything. This this would be a great dessert beer. Yeah. Um, yeah so not just the chocolatey. And as you're drinking it, though, that bitterness from the coffee starts coming in. And you you taste that in the you know kind of in the back of your mouth. And it's sort of hanging there. And I just love that coffee roasty bitterness that's going on. Uh, but then I also get a little bit of just floral uh coming mm-hmm. from the hops i think uh what was it columbus and amarillo that were used in it yep mm-hmm. so picking up some of the the floral notes from those hops as, mm-hmm. as i drank the beer so just really enjoyed the sea monster and uh give that a four cool a body should really not make that sound uh, and the last my pick. last beer just when you think sculpin can't get any better <laughs> 
<laughs> they go and put grapefruit in it. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it to me, it's everything Sculpin is, but even more citrusy. And um, you know, it's got those bright citrus aromas, flavors, but yet you still get the the, the pine and the resin from those hops. Uh, but it's it's similar, and then just like turned up to eleven, and um, mm. it's. Boy, I could drink a lot of this on a summer day. Yep. <laughs> and that that's one that, because I love it so much, I'm going to give it a five. Oh, wow. Listen to that hang time. Yeah. Give me another. All right. And it goes on. I think, I think that was a sea monster. <laughs> I think it might have been. <laughs> okay, last up is me. And, you know, I hate to be redundant, but heck i'm gonna be redundant here um and in no particular order my my first one was the sculpin the plain sculpin i mean Mm -hmm. just because it's such a great standard um you know and it's it's piney it's 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 a traditional ipa but it's not too overwhelming it it, it's not one of those like west coast you know that will be in your face and i i mean this is a really good easy drinking beer that I, i think anybody can really enjoy and um this one i gave a four a body should really not make that sound which then brings me to number two which is the grapefruit variety of the sculpin oh this thing is like just beautiful i mean i know a lot of us here in the room have had it multiple times and you know keep waxing poetic on it but it is just it is so i mean mean, seriously it's like drinking it the grapefruit is just in my mouth and it's dripping down slowly and but it's such a clean mm. grapefruit mm. if that makes any sense um i mean you're you're still getting that you know the piney resin base but just this it, it it makes it a very bright beer for lack of a better word and it just really really beautiful and I need to learn to make this. I feel, I feel like uh, the the grapefruit, you know, in the original sculpt and the the resiny, the resinous flavors of the hops, and then the citrus flavors of the hops are sort of competing for your in your palate. But I think the addition of the grapefruit in the in the grapefruit sculpt and sort of pushes the citrus kind of over the top. It does, I mean? right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know they had to use citra hops as well because that has the grapefruit and mm-hmm. has the mango, and yeah, it just melds, you know, in a in an amazing way. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a beautiful beer, and um, and I gave this one a four as well. My body should really not make that sound. Uh, uh, and lastly, I was torn. I was torn. Um, but I'm going to go with the Sea Monster as my number three. Ooh. I have to have a dark beer because, you know, I'm a stout girl. And for those of you that put up with me over these episodes, know that, like, stouts are one of the favorite things for me to brew. And I, I could drink them any time of year. And this Sea Monster is beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I mean, it is a dessert. It's like a sipping beer. I mean, there's just so much going on, and it's so smooth and creamy. And, you know, I'm going to reiterate, it will sneak up on you, because there is no way that this really tastes like a 10%. Not at no. all. I, I, I mean, there's no alcohol burn on it at all. It's just, oh. 
Daddy has exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, because it, and it's got a great blend of, you know, you're getting roastiness and you're getting chocolatiness and I'm getting these subtle dark fruits in it. And, and to me, it's just a great balance of all of those. And um, uh, this puppy, I gave a five. Listen to that hang time. Give me another. Very cool. So I have like some random trivia for you guys. So we were talking a lot about the Sculpin and the different varieties of Sculpin, and they've done a ton of them. So I want to see if you guys know which one of these they have not done. So there's a lemon, uh, mango, coffee, ghost chili, or limerita. I haven't heard about the limerita. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> that no may have been from a Bud Light commercial. I don't know, but... Yeah, yeah I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Fine, fine. Nice try, though. Nice so, try. Mark, you know, you and Kendall both had talked about, you know, the sculpting in the can. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really feel like that is a major factor in the freshness and everything, and, and, I'm, and I'm hoping to see more more and more beers put into cans it feels like it's a better way to transport and store beer yeah it's certainly it's more in, environmentally um you know minded in terms of it's good for for backpackers and you know mm-hmm. and it, it but i think beyond the green aspect which is cool it just has to do with the the fact that you're you're going to have you have absolutely no exposure to light mm-hmm. uh the, the the oxidation factor is minimized even more and uh you know i i kind of came to terms with it I, I think that the the aversion to canned beer you know uh back years ago when it was first starting to make its way yeah. into the into the craft market was this aesthetics you know but uh, you start really looking you know or tasting the difference and doing parallel tastings and sure. the first one that i did was with uh, sierra nevada torpedo where oh. i had the bottle and and the can version yeah and uh, that's what you know was the tipping point for me sure because you know from the time the beer leaves the brewery you know, goes through the distributor and storage houses and, and into stores. And, you know, the temperature can go from ideal to 90 degrees. I mean, you never know what is going to uh, to happen to the environment that the beer is in. Um, and the cans, you know, they, you know, the, like you said, there's no, there's no uh, oxidization. There's no light, uh, no getting light struck or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it definitely... Um, I'm hoping that uh, I, I'm hoping that we get to see a lot more of that, and I think the maybe the hipsters finally got something right drinking PBR that kind of <laughs> took that can <laughs> stigma away, you know, a right, little bit. Right, and it, it's just I think it's great for the freshness factor alone. I've had two hearted side by side, similar dates, oh, similar yeah. age, but you you could taste the difference. I'm a big proponent of canned craft beer. I, I wrote a blog piece about it. Um, love the crowler too it's a great idea that was let's take a can and a growler and combine them oh that's cool but uh yeah cans are there's some brewers that are just never going to go but uh slowly but surely more and more are i just saw uh, something on the internet today that odell is going to start doing nice couple of their Mm. big beers in cans good so yeah um, Yeah, the technology i think is catching up you know with all the mobile canning lines mm -hmm. and and things like that so that's another benefit is for brand new breweries they don't have money to install a packaging line but they can rent out a mobile canning line and have cans on the store shelves much yep. easier exactly yeah i know when we when we had uh, 
uh, Hetty Topper at our, you know, yeah, that you know he insisted that not only you know we crack it, just you know that that everybody had to crack it at it the same time, yeah. and then he said, "Do not pour it into a glass." And he was that adamant about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, now, I have like, to say that I like to, to look at my beer at least. But, yes. uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> now, Hetty out of a can is good, and shotgunning Hetty's not bad either. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, have done, <laughs> I have done that. You are a wild man. <laughs> I've got video to prove it. <laughs> Oh, but awesome. the freshness factor, so God bless. I mean, that needs to be a mm. perfume or cologne in itself. Mm. Although maybe mm. he was planning on that anyways. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's also another factor, I think, which is really great about canning is that, you know, for those smaller breweries that may have a really tiny tap room with limited hours, you know, being able to get those cans out into the grocery stores, you know, is going to help drive the people in, especially, you know, if it may not be easy to get to, or if you're in competition with other, you know, tap rooms that, um, and breweries, you know, that have been around for a while. And it's really mm-hmm. nice to now go to a grocery store and just see such a great selection or your liquor store, you know, beer store kind of thing. And for, for for local breweries that really can't afford yet to get like a, a canning line, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. there I know there are uh, mobile canning mm-hmm. uh, units that are going around and contracting with people. Um, That's, I, uh, I think, Jackalope. Uses one, I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Toucan or something like yeah. that out yeah. of, uh, I think, out of Chattanooga. Could be. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're yeah, a local, right. local mobile canner. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty others, you know, around the U.S. Yay. Yay. Well, as we think about the, uh, the other beers that uh, uh, were a little bit more nuanced with all these, these incredible flavors, um, you know, one that, uh, that, I really, uh, I still have a little bit of it here because I just can only sip, uh, just a taste at a time. But it's as when we've when we've been talking about it already, the habanero, and um, just as Dave said, it, it the the thing that is incredibly different about this than a lot of your pepper beers is that it doesn't have that uh, vegetable aspect to it. It's it you know you yeah. don't get that. So I thought that this would be a really good beer. I'm going to try to maybe keep a six-pack of this on hand uh, for cooking. You know, I will, oh, yeah. uh, like for my chili, I like to do different right. kinds of chilies. Sure. And it would really be, uh, you know, good foundational stuff for, like, my Montezuma's Revenge chili or something ooh, like ooh. that. Yeah. But I was also thinking, you know, here in in the Nashville area, we really, really like, you know, what what is like the sort of the the quintessential Nashville uh, fast food. Uh, although it's not, if it's really good, it's not that fast. <laughs> is the hot fish, you know? So I'm thinking, why not do like, um, you know, a beer batter with this stuff? Oh wow. On top of yeah, you know the hot fish. You know, we have up. hot chicken, but hot fish. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so I'm gonna try that. That's actually. cool. Yeah, I think so. that might be good. I think a lot of people are getting more and more into cooking with beer. Uh, I know I, I mostly use it. Um, it's a, it's a good meat tenderizer. So I'll, like if I'm gonna marinate something overnight or something, a lot of times I'll soak it in a a pretty good beer. Or sometimes even when I'm doing the smoker, 
you know, instead of just keeping water in there to, to steam and moisturize, I'll use, you know, like people make beer can chicken, that kind of stuff. Pretty cool. Some good discussion. All right. Well, we're going to take a brief break and check in with our sponsors and we'll be right back. Welcome back, guys. That's been some good discussion so far. And um, I think I would like to open the table now and talk about, you know, the diversity of Ballast Point and other breweries um, as of late is all of these, like, crazy flavor combinations. You know, it used to be that you go to a tap room and you have a pale ale, you have an IPA, you have a porter, and you have a stout. Now there's just all this plethora of flavors that are uh, you know coming into different styles what do you guys think about it well i mean and yeah like so we were talking you know we had six different ballast point beers today right we didn't even scratch the surface of what they do and a lot of them are riffs on the on the on the sculpin you know i mean you know the the main you know the grapefruit and the habanero and they do the lime and um, lemon, ghost chili, coffee, million different kinds of sculpt and all that, but they still have you know red ales and browns and, and different things that they do, um, you know. And so you can even like pull back and say we're not even going to talk about sours or, or Brett beers, you know, uh, funk beers, but even just beers that use you know Saccharomyces, you're still looking at tons of different flavors even you know straight styles but then you start adding in spices and different things it's a you know beer is an extremely broad and complex market these days yeah and and, you know one one question that always comes to mind for me when we're looking at these specialty kinds of beers that are you know you might say in the spice vegetal kind of category is um, you know are is this a fad or is it a trend you know Mm -hmm. that is a fad comes and goes a trend you know you can sustain it over time because there's an actual market out there long term that can support it so i i'm i'm starting to see that maybe this is a trend and not just a fad uh i know like five years ago uh, and 10 years ago when you know we would compete and maybe be considered for uh you know like a pro-am if you were in a pro-am final mm-hmm. that a lot of times uh, well not all not a, not a lot of times all the time if you were in a final and your beer was a veg a vegetal or even a fruit beer uh the brewery and i won't say who <laughs> but they would say to us no way. You're done. There's no way that we're going to scale this up to the kind of volume that would be required for us to then turn around and try to sell it to a public. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's different now, you know. So I think so many people are doing it and I know that like at the at the pro am at GABF last year, um, there was a there was a, a passion fruit goza that was there there were i think there were a couple beers with like blackberries and and different things so yeah i mean it's it's becoming um people are getting a lot more creative with it these days yep now do you think that there's a point where it would be too much flavor you know or going to an extreme like for instance um the indra is that too much is that just enough 
I thought the Enduro was too much for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when I first smelled it, uh, I thought it smelled like my mother's spice cabinet. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like they took a little bit of everything. And yeah. it's it's a solid beer. I can't find any fault in it. It's just it's a lot of flavor in you there. You can't focus on any one yeah. thing because there's every time you turn around, there's something you know, new touching your palate. Pepper, coconut, curry. Uh, and more and yeah. I, I'm not sure if I can put my finger on any one thing and it's I, I could see where this would be um, a beer for some people sometime but I couldn't see myself drinking a, a full bomber of this yeah yeah me either I see it as being a very good pairing beer and um, I know that you know most of the time when when I come home um, Sometimes my palate just doesn't want to work all that hard. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I hear you. Exactly. I'm with you. I love the lawnmower beer yeah. after work. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you know, uh, I think also there are some things that you know people try um, and throw it out there, but not everything should be an addition to a beer. You know, I mean, there's like some stuff, you know, I've had a, a, a good cucumber saison, but mm, one, Trinity. you know, only you know, one, <laughs> you know, I've had a couple others that, you know, it didn't work, you know, um, you know, you would think watermelon would be a great addition to beer. It's okay in the right circumstance, but you've got to do it right. You know, a lot of these flavors, you know, just because it tastes great when you're eating it. You know the chemical processes that things go through through ferment fermentation, and when you're combining them with the flavors of a beer, they don't always come out the way you want. You know, I know I had um, a beer that I made where I used rosemary instead of hops, and it probably would have been pretty good, except that I used way too much rosemary. So you get like a big smack in the face of rosemary. Now it was great as a marinade. Um, you put some pork chops in that and let them soak overnight and then cook them. You got something going on. But as far as drinking, no way. Yeah, I know. And, and like holiday beers, you know, that are supposed to be spiced. And, and, and so I'm always doing something new, you know, every yeah. like late October, mid-November for, you know, like Christmas and New Year's. And uh, one year I did my Grand Crew with a Star Ants, you know, and that was just awful. I mean, just because I use too much. And so I think the, the adage, less is more, really applies to Absolutely. spiced beers. Yeah. You just want a little bit in the background kind of prodding you forward, little, you know. but if, if it's like in your face, it's too much. Yeah, it's like, are you having some spice in your beer or are you having some beer in your spice? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, so, okay, so there's a fine line between, you know, what is acceptable onto the palate and what is overwhelming on the palate but okay so back to the indra i wonder if you know here locally um cool springs brewery has been making some beers to go with a new indian restaurant that has recently opened up and you know the moment that i smelled this beer i was like instantly thinking oh my gosh this belongs at that restaurant i don't know that it would be you know a good bottled beer but to go with a particular restaurant um what do you guys or how do you guys feel about this uh, maybe a new relationship with breweries and 
high-end restaurants and maybe making special batches just solely for a restaurant and a particular flight of food yeah i think i think that especially the the whole local concept of craft beer which mm-hmm. i'm hoping you know we're getting more and more kind of back to that uh that is that uh, you know we you could actually have a, a even a brew pub that would be working in collaboration with a local restaurant mm-hmm. so it wouldn't even have to be a big operation i know um, uh jeppe at evil twin um has a, a house beer that he makes for um uh a the Birdcage, or there's a there's a restaurant in Chicago, uh, the Aviary. The Aviary. Right. Sorry, mm-hmm. a Birdcage. Well, same yeah. thing. You know, Similar. Yeah. Wasn't there a movie? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so um, I, I think you know you've it, it's a natural kind of collaboration between chefs and brewers because usually you know they're they're both thinking about flavor and presentation and how this will pair with this. So it, it's a pretty um, you know, it, it's it's like a natural uh, natural happening. Mm-hmm. And here in Nashville, there's a new restaurant called Butchertown Hall, and a lot of local breweries are brewing beer just for Butchertown um, that they're not putting out in the market. You can't get it at the tap room. You can't get it anywhere else. Um, and they've considered the Butchertown Hall menu, working with the chef there. And um, there's several breweries in town making beer exclusively. And I think that's cool. I would like to see more of that in the city and in other cities. Um, there's so many great chefs and great restaurants all over this country. And, you know, local beer could be tied right to it. Yeah, and I think that's a natural progression of things is that, um, you know, as we get more crafty in our beer and and you know more niche in the type of breweries that are opening up that they can cater to these um you know growing foodies that are around because i think it's that same type of person that is attracted to a craft beer that's also attracted to the new restaurants that are opening up and you know more of that um the trendy foodiness you know that goes along with not only the craft beer revolution and the food industry but even like in terms of cocktails you know those those old school craft cocktails are coming out too um you know whereas before i think an old-fashioned was probably one of the only things you can get on a menu and now you can go to a restaurant and have a plethora of you know interesting and unique flavors so um yeah that's pretty cool and I think, you know, beer's, beer does two different things as you're pairing it with food. You know, it either accentuates the flavor in the food. You know, like a smoked beer, for instance, is really good with a wood-fired pizza. You know, it mm, brings yeah. it brings out, you know, that, that uh, uh, just the smoke that's already in the oven. Yeah. And then, though, you've got beers that are just palate cleansers that is you know they're not complimenting the food they're just kind of like wiping the slate clean so you can you can eat something different sure. you know so that, i think it, it they play multiple it plays multiple roles sure. well like you know there are times when you don't really want to think about pairing you know this with that flavor like you know if you're just going out to watch a game you know and have some wings or something you really you probably just want um a good session beer like a nice lager or something that you can just drink a lot of you're not stopping to oh well let me do some tasting notes on this while i'm i'm having it you know you're not you're not really trying to to think about kind of like you said you know sometimes your palate doesn't want to work that hard you know so sometimes you just want a beer that is just 
there to wash down the food it doesn't always have to you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. go with it or whatever you know but on the other end of the spectrum i think it is the foodie movement that's driving the creativity and the acceptance of beer i think there's a lot of people out there that would not consider themselves beer drinkers but they've discovered that there's such a wide variety of beer that goes well with so many foods yeah and and in many ways beer is more versatile than wine so when you start pairing people who are not traditional beer drinkers uh, and might have considered themselves wine snobs are now realizing there's a whole world of flavors out there yeah. that, that help with the food that I'm eating, no matter what kind it is. It's probably good that Mike is not in here on, uh, on this particular episode uh, talking about that. But yeah, I think beer infinitely... <laughs> Uh, has infinite more uh, possibilities, flavor combinations, varietals, things like that. I mean, you're never going to taste um, like a habanero um, Sauvignon Blanc or something like that. You know, you never, <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. That's yeah. a challenge yeah. to a winery. Yeah, so uh, I'm throwing it out there. You know, the first, uh, first vineyard that can come back with that, you know, uh, prove me wrong. But I, I do think that, and I think that a lot of times people are more open-minded about beer than they are wine because you have certain expectations about these wines that they should taste like this and they should have this profile and all this. Beer, especially American craft beer, it's pretty much game on with whatever you want to do. Yep. Yep. Sure. And, um, you know, it being baseball season and, you know, of course, hockey season is right around the corner. What is cool? No, I, I, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about how, like, Schlafly, for instance, kind of pushed their way into the baseball fields. And um, so now at Cardinal Stadium, you can get a variety of beer. Um, you know, so it's not just the plain old traditional brands who shall rename nameless um you know that you could only find at a baseball game or a hockey game for that matter i mean you can go to any city now and any major sporting event and now you have a plethora and and not just like all of these food options but beer options too and i i think that's really cool because you know we've come a long way from what we used to be yeah i think it's a reflection of the times that people are not going to spend necessarily you know thirty dollars minimum on a you know on a hockey ticket and then you know 20 bucks on food and then pay eight bucks for a uh, you know just the standard macro beer you know not a lot of people will but you know when you could pay a couple more bucks and get a huge you know like goose island or, or a yazoo or something something with a little more flavor um, that will, you know, kind of complement your experience a little bit better. Yeah. yeah, I know the Predators have been really open to local craft beer. Um, not only did they hold a beer festival, but they held a contest, and the local brewery that won gets to sell their beer on the main level on the main concourse. No way. Yeah. Jackalope won the first year and the third year, and Black Abbey won the second. And so they made a really big deal about it. And it's really about cool. six games, uh, home games, they get to be there. And brewery representatives are there shaking hands and meeting people. Well, that's so it's huge. A, it's yeah, a no, great it way for... You know, Predators games, you know, that it's like one of those destination events, too. Especially like when the Blackhawks, who I hate because they're cheaters. Um, <laughs> when, they, when they come Ouch. into town, 
much you know you know the city is mobbed by you know um you know, horrible, goons. drunken, thug goons, which I guess we're banned in Excuse Chicago you? now. Excuse you? <laughs> I think you're banned from a certain house. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a key. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so that's a whole other bunch of people that get the chance to try a beer when they're in town, and then they go home and they talk about it. Like, wow, I you know, went down to Nashville and had a... Had a Black Abbey, you know, you know, POTUS number forty four or whatever, and they're like, dude, you know, I wish I could get this in Chicago, you know, so that kind of thing, or Anaheim or wherever they're coming in from out of town to to see, you know, to see the game. So you're you're tying that experience and uh, and opening yourself up to, you know, beer nerds from from everywhere. Yeah, and it, it's nice to be able to compete. I mean, granted, I. I'm a Chicago fan. I do admit that. But but what's nice... Okay, but getting on this little tangent here about hockey, you know, with the upcoming All-Star game coming here to Nashville this year, you're going to get fans from all over. And, you know... I'm sorry, but hockey fans are beer fans too. I'm they sure are. you know to a degree, and just being able to have craft breweries at every in, in every city, you know, for yeah. major sporting events, is you know is really cool, and it just it it just I think it helps enhance the experience. Anyways, okay, well, I think there was some pretty good discussion. What do you guys think? Good times. Yeah. Neat. Pour me another. (laughs) Or two. All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and all of our tangents today. And you can catch all of our episodes online as well as on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube, PRX, and Spreaker, our native media host. YouTunes and our own Android app are the easiest ways to enjoy the show on your phone. Just search for Sip Sud Smokes on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. We love your feedback, and you can reach us online at info at sipsudsmokes.com. Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter every day at sipsudsmoke, and our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news. Do us a favor and take the time to rate this episode. If you like listening to us online, that's a big help to us, and we get to see your feedback as well. So, this is good old gal Juliana. Hey, this is good old boy Dave saying... You know, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Reverend Mark, bidding you good afternoon. And this is good old boy Kendall saying, always drink good beer. And Kendall, speaking of which, where can we reach you, Mr. Blogger? Yeah, my wife and I do a beer blog, uh, beermakes3.com. And uh, we uh, share the good news of beer and um, just want to try to educate and help people understand it a little bit better. Very cool. Well, on behalf of everyone, this is good old gal Juliana, and we just ask you to keep on sipping and see us on the next episode. Long hope! This has been a one-tan-hand production of Sip, Suds, and Smokes, a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life. From the dude in the basement studios, your hosts, the good old boys, will see you all next time.